My name is Nicole Dan, and I'm an interview editor for the Georgetown Public Policy Review podcast. Recently, Mark Zuckerberg, chairman and CEO of Facebook, came to Georgetown University to give a speech on protecting free expression. I discussed the policy implications of how Facebook is handling speech with students from the Georgetown Technology Policy Initiative and a member of the DC Tech Workers Coalition. While some of the facts of Zuckerberg's speech were in dispute, he touched on the ways that Facebook regulates speech and the importance of tolerating speech we might not like. He touted Facebook as spreading American values of free speech abroad and how Chinese regulations prevent Facebook from wanting to operate there. At the end of his speech, Zuckerberg took questions students submitted beforehand through the moderator, including a question about Facebook's responsibility when it comes to hate speech and genocide across the globe. You know, it's not like you can just do a quick search for some words and take down posts that, 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 that say certain things because you, know, you want to give people the ability to, uh, to condemn acts that are, that are harmful um, and, and to, to rebut them. Uh, also at the same time, a lot of people will use uh, seemingly innocent words uh, as innuendo to incite harm. And because of this, this ends up not just being a very straightforward task, it's a very linguistically nuanced task and the linguistic nuances vary by country. So you need people um, in each of these countries where there's a risk of conflict. Um, they, are, they tend to be countries where, where we invest relatively more compared to the, the size of, of the population on Facebook there, um, just because the, the risk is, is heightened. Um, so for example, in Myanmar, we now have well more than 100 people who are, who are kind of Burmese language speakers and experts helping us do the work there um, and helping us to train the AI systems um, that we need to, to help identify this, this content. Um, we certainly feel a strong responsibility for, for, um, for, what, for, for our role and what we need to, to do there. Um, you know, even if, if a government is trying to carry out a genocide against its own people, um, we, we certainly want to make sure that we identify who is acting badly, that, that people are not um, you know, spreading that kind of content on Facebook. We took down some of the accounts of the, the top generals and political figures in Myanmar who were spreading a lot of hateful content. Um, that's, the, that's the kind of thing that I think we need to do. And of course, in Myanmar, we were, um, you know, it, it took us too long to, to kind of ramp up and, and, and address that issue, um, which was obviously a, a, a big mistake and an issue. Um, and, and over the last few years, we've really uh, learned across a lot of the issues that I addressed today how to move from handling them more reactively, where people uh, flag an issue in the community and then we kind of build a solution to it or take down content once people tell us about it, to now our whole approach is how do we build systems that can identify harms before uh, people even have to flag it to us, or, or hopefully before people even see it. And that's been a multi-year journey. Um, you know, that's why I mentioned that the, you know, we have more than 35,000 people working on security today and the security budget. Is, um, is just massive compared to uh, you know, where, where the company was even you know, six or seven years ago. Shweta Parvathi and Zach Goslin from the Georgetown Technology Policy Initiative, a student organization at the McCourt School focused on tech policy, shared their thoughts on Zuckerberg's remarks. Hi, I'm Shweta and I'm a first year MPP student at McCord School of Public Policy. I'm also a member of Georgetown Technology Policy Initiative I think what struck me the most about today's speech was Zuckerberg talking about the dilemma of drawing a line when it comes to categorizing hate speech and harmful content. I agree with him, it indeed is a tough job. But as the saying goes in Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. So 
creating something that more than 2 billion people in the world have accepted as a part of their lives of course comes with responsibilities that you cannot shy away from even if you're a tech company. I feel that if someone has the power, resources and capability to pull talents to address this dilemma that he was talking about and solve it today or at least set a stage for it, it is Facebook. And this is also in a sense bringing people together, isn't it? Which is the point of Facebook altogether according to Mark Zuckerberg. So I feel like there is a lot that Facebook can do if they were inclined to and it will only help them grow bigger and better. Hi, this is Zach Goslin. I'm the treasurer of the Georgetown Technology Policy Initiative. I, like a number of our members, attended Mark Zuckerberg's speech on free speech and free expression this past week. And uh, here are my thoughts on it. On the one hand, I thought it was a very good summary of the issues that are inherent in moderating speech and moderating content at the massive scale that Facebook operates at, the unintended consequences that happen as a result of putting rules in, the challenges of operating such a system internationally. So I did walk away from that understanding that it wasn't so like wasn't a simple fix and there was no easy solution. There was no there's not some simple like magic bullet that uh, Mr. Zuckerberg is resisting for political reasons or anything like that. At the same time, I did interpret the speech as a defense of the status quo, that being that Facebook is maybe not doing the best job, but is moderating internally and keeping that in-house without any sort of outside intervention or outside uh, enforcement is the best way to go for the reasons that he stated, that the reasons of not wanting to get government involved. Not that I would have expected Mark Zuckerberg to present any sort of policy alternatives in between government fully staying out of social media or, you know, regulation or accountability in social media versus Section 230 being revoked and sort of destroying social media as we know it in this country. That does feel, but there wasn't really anything presented uh, between those two points that I think there just has to exist in some way because the the contradiction of, of his speech was that it was difficult to do what they're doing, but also they don't want help. So uh, I didn't necessarily walk away trusting Facebook to handle these issues anymore or any further than I already did. I didn't walk away feeling like I didn't walk away especially convinced that Facebook had a handle on it. At the same time, one of the arguments that he made that I, I do think is interesting but not much you can do about it right now is that what's been going on the past few years has been the growing pains of living with social media. Uh, and it's kind of a time will tell situation whether or not that'll happen or and we'll sort of learn to live with social media in the same way that we all sort of understand now in a way that maybe I didn't 10 years ago that it's everybody's best faces and you shouldn't be comparing your life to other people's via social media and we've all sort of learned that lesson uh at the same time uh technology is advancing too with uh mpt2 or ntp2 i don't remember what exactly it's called the open ai text predictor uh deep fakes things like that and social media still just amplifies human behavior and nothing's really changed about human behavior human psychology all these arguments that he made about trusting people uh i don't necessarily trust people to always uh get right and always see through misinformation and you know quote-unquote fake news so in that sense i didn't necessarily i didn't necessarily buy that argument i think that about covers what i have to say i i thought it was tacky that he kept invoking civil rights icons uh but that you know rhetorical flourish it was i i didn't walk you know i walked away like yeah free expression free speech are good they're norms in this country but I hope we all understood that was not really what was being argued here. 
So I look forward to seeing what comes next in this in this saga of Facebook's grappling with Washington D.C. Be interesting to see what happens uh, in a theoretical Warren administration or in a theoretical uh, second term of Trump or whatever. Or if there's a more moderate candidate, would be less kind of focused on this issue. Members of the D.C. Tech Workers Coalition handed out flyers with questions for Mark Zuckerberg before the event in an attempt to get students to submit them. I talked to Shauna, a member of the coalition. So my name is Shauna Gordon McKeon, and I am one of the co-founders of the D.C. chapter of the Tech Workers Coalition. Uh, that's basically my position. It's a pretty non-hierarchical, informal organization. So what is the Tech Workers Coalition? It is a group of tech workers, and tech workers is defined pretty loosely, so it does definitely include, you know, programmers at major tech companies, but it includes basically anyone who works in tech. Um, so you don't have to be a programmer to be a tech worker. Uh, you don't have to work at, like, Facebook or Google or where have you. Um, if you work with technology or around technology, you are a tech worker. Um, so it's just a, a collection of people who are talking with each other, meeting with each other, befriending each other, and just talking about the ways that we can work together to uh, make our workplaces better and also the world that is impacted by the technology we build uh, to make that better. Do you mind me asking, where do you work? So I actually am self-employed. I am a freelance programmer and project manager. Okay, cool. So what did the Tech Workers Coalition hope to achieve by showing up to the Zuckerberg speech? Sure, yeah. So our intention was very much to just provide additional information. There is so much going on with Facebook and so many different ways that the decisions that Facebook has made have impacted people around the world, even just limiting ourselves to things that were related to free expression. We actually, so we were handing out the flyer and we made it double-sided and we still had a really hard time fitting everything we wanted to on there. So there's just, you know, a lot of information, a lot of context that we figured not everybody had. So, you know, Zuckerberg was going to go and speak for however long he was going to speak. We wanted to just provide some additional context and additional facts and arguments to the people. And we figured, you know, they'll be waiting online, maybe getting a little bored, uh, give them some light reading while they were waiting. So what was on the flyer? Was that just the questions? Yeah. So we decided to, I decided to frame it. So I'm not a Georgetown affiliate, so there was no way for me to actually go to the event. So I decided to frame it as, you know, if I was at the event, how, what questions would I ask? And use that to decide what content should be on there and it's like the framing device for, for the flyer. But I eventually, I slash we eventually narrowed it down to six issues related to the use of the platform to promote violence and Facebook's slow response to warnings about that in the past, uh, the impact on content moderators, issues of racism at Facebook, Gosh, what were the other three? Um, issues of um, pro-conservative allegations of pro-conservative bias related to like the secret meetings that it was recently recently revealed that um, Mark Zuckerberg had been holding. Definitely two more. What were they? Oh, one was just about you know the ethics of one person having so much power, and that's only five. All right, I don't remember what the sixth one was. Uh, I don't have a flyer, a copy of the flyer in front of me. We handed them all out, so. But there was a, a sixth issue that we decided to include as well. So which questions of yours got asked during the event? Well, so there was a couple of them did. And who knows, it's entirely possible that those are questions that people are going to ask anyway. 
uh, definitely, as I was going through, we actually didn't really get to finish the line because we kept on stop. I, we kept on stopping and talking to people, and a lot of the students that we were handing stuff out to wanted to just chat with us about what was on there. So I would not be at all surprised if a number of the people had independently asked these questions. But the questions that did get asked were the one around Facebook's role in uh, promoting violence and the uh, uh, genocide in Myanmar. And then there was another one about pro-conservative, potential pro-conservative bias, which is not surprising given that literally like we made the flyer and we printed it out. And then in the morning as I was on my way over to hand them out, I was just reading like new revelations around the that several of the sort of high-level executives at Facebook on their pol on their policy team are former Republican operatives, uh, which you know is not inherently bad if you have like a, and I don't know whether there are Democrat like former Democratic operatives as well, but I was like, you know, we could have added this to our list of citations under that bullet point, but it's too late. We've already printed out the the flyers, so I'm not surprised that that got brought up as a question since it's a very active and current issue. What did you think about the way that he took questions through a moderator as opposed to just people coming up to a mic or something else? I mean, I think that he had a very clear and precise framing that seemed pretty disingenuous and that a number of people have criticized for his speech. And, you know, if you have a completely open mic, then there's a chance someone would call him on that. But people didn't even get the chance to see the speech because because they went through the vetting process. So as I was handing out the flyers, people from who are running the event came by to give people cue cards to write down their questions. And given that they were vetting them and synthesizing them into single questions, it totally makes sense that they did it ahead of the speech because there would be no way to do it like after the speech without like a huge delay. But their decision to do that meant that students couldn't ask questions about what he specifically said. And it meant that, you know, it's entirely possible that he gave a list of things that he wasn't going to answer and that should get vetted out. We don't know. And that just seems like a little bit ironic, I guess, since the whole speech is supposed to be about free expression and it sort of limited what people could say and limited the chance for people to push back on his, his speech and the ideas he was espousing. So, so what did you think about the ideas in the speech? I think the speech, there were a number of points that are not like wrong, but I think as a whole, it was pretty disingenuous. One of the things that he kept pushing was talking about giving a voice to regular people and saying, you know, oh, it shouldn't be up to me to make these decisions. But that seems like a really false and disingenuous choice. Individuals alone are really easy to manipulate. It's, we're all busy people with busy lives who don't have the time to vet every question and be completely up on every issue. We're constantly relying on each other. And I just feel that, you know, truth, deciding what truth is and what's true is a collective endeavor. You know, we can't build cities alone. We don't create companies alone. And we can't determine what's truthful or not alone. So we can't just leave it to regular individuals. It has to be a collective effort. And there are ways to do that that, you know, are alternatives to the government doing it and alternatives to Mark Zuckerberg doing it. But it kind of, the speech kind of sets up a binary choice that doesn't engage with that at all. So, I mean, this is, you know, a kind of uncharitable way to think about it because, you know, I'm, 
but it seems to me that he's saying like, you know, we shouldn't have the power, you should have the power, but we don't have the power. He's deciding how the platform works and what the policies are and saying that that's giving us power, but actually it's taking away our ability to collectively address these issues. So what are what is the, the tech worker coalition relationship to Facebook? Are there people who work at Facebook in the coalition? How are they treating their workers? So, well, so the tech workers coalition is a very loose and informal coalition. So I actually have very little idea of who is in the other chapters. I assume that there's Facebook people, especially in the San Francisco chapter, but I don't, we don't interact with each other necessarily in the Tech Workers Coalition as, like, it's not, I'm not quite sure how to explain it, but we kind of just meet each other as individuals, and there might very well be people who are like, oh, you're at Facebook, I'm at Facebook too, or for any company, and that might lead to you know, talking about what they can do in their workplace. But my experience, and again, this is, I'm a freelancer, so, you know, my business is myself. But, yeah, so I don't know what Facebook employees are part of the Tech Workers Coalition, if any. I assume there are some. I don't really know what they're doing. I know that for the D.C. chapter, we're largely focusing on informing each other, learning more about the history of collective action, the tools of collective action, understanding what issues are across the industry and sort of going from there. He was saying that Facebook doesn't operate in China because of the free speech laws and that there are Chinese companies that are gaining prevalence, right, that might not hold the same free speech values. So what do you think about Facebook, you know, kind of rigorously enforcing these American, quote unquote, free speech values? Well, I mean, I'm certainly not a fan of government censorship, but again, I think I think it's kind of like a false choice that he's setting up by saying like pointing to something worse and saying like, oh, you know, we're not like that thing that's worse. It's like like it's true. I would rather have what we have than like the Chinese platforms are, although that's largely due not to the platforms themselves, but to, you know, a, like a surveilling and censoring state. So. But I don't, I think that a lot of, I think a lot of people in tech, led by the sort of most prominent voices and the people who sort of set the agenda because they're so rich and powerful, but I think there's a, a lot of people in tech assume that like individualism is the way to go and that, you know, the individual right to, you know, free speech, the individual right to self-determination is what needs to be protected. And it's not that I'm, I'm one, certainly not against individual free speech or individual, you know, self-determination. But I think it ignores the way that we've always historically had to work collectively to accomplish things and to create societies that we want to live in. And to me, what's really important is having a democratic representative choice in how those systems work. And neither Facebook nor the Chinese systems are democratic. Neither of them involve self-government and collective government and collective decision-making by the mass of people that are using the platform. And like, yes, if you have to choose between two essential dictators, like two people who are powerful enough to decide how the platform is working, like, yes, I would prefer someone who has, you know, 
values around free speech compared to I don't actually know that much about how Chinese platforms work, and I don't want to make assumptions. But like, yeah, like if you're asking me, do I prefer to like be on a platform that's censored by the Chinese government versus Facebook? Yes, I prefer Facebook. But like, we should have more options than those two. So would you then support more of a Reddit model where it's like each, where people who are on the platform kind of self-police? Yeah, so I think, I certainly think that Reddit's model is in, in in some ways a much healthier model than Facebook and Twitter use. Although I think, I don't know too much about how Reddit works, but I think they do have problems with, you know, if you're giving communities the ability to self-police, you can still have like toxic communities that do toxic things. And there's still like the sort of overall, like making sure that you're not, that those, you know, communities don't go off the deep end. But I do think that, Reddit does a lot more than Facebook does in terms of giving people the tools to moderate their own communities. And, I, you know, I have noticed that Facebook has gotten, been providing more tools to its groups and its communities. And I think that's partially in response to, you know, seeing that, that it works a little better for for Reddit. I don't know if it's directly in response to Reddit, but you know, Facebook groups are now growing to the size of like, you know, millions of people and without moderation tools, a group of millions of people is. So they've definitely been adding stuff as the size of groups has grown. But I don't know that, uh, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of trailing off a little bit here. Like, you know, when, whenever you're talking about like a platform and an organization that's as big and as rich and as uh, well-funded as, got as many people working on it as Facebook. Like anything you say is going to be like complicated. Like they are building some things that help groups, you know, self-moderate. Does that impact how information gets shared on that platform? I don't know. Like there's a difference between like political advertising and like just speech by politicians that happens to be on Facebook. There's different kinds of speech. Like it's complex. And I don't want to be like universally condemning Facebook here. But I think that they don't do enough. And there is so little recourse for when they make mistakes. Because it's essentially a dictatorship. You know, Mark Zuckerberg owns 60% of Facebook, which means he owns all of Facebook. He's the majority owner. And it's huge. It's like one person controlling the communications of, you know, two and a half billion people. And when some of those two and a half billion people inevitably have problems with how the platform is run, there's really just not any, there's not recourse for fixing things and changing things. What do you think then about this creation of a Facebook Supreme Court that would be kind of external and Zuckerberg said that he wouldn't really have control over it? I mean, the thing is that he says he wouldn't have control over it. Is the Supreme Court going to be, is the governance of the Supreme Court going to, is there going to be like a legal association? Like, is, there are ways he could legally design it that would mean that he could not take that power back if he got frustrated by it or upset by it. Whether that's coming up with a legal process that he would be bound to accept the rulings of the Supreme Court, whether that's, you know, creating a separate organization that's run by this other group of people that's not him or Facebook and moving the sort of jurisdiction of those things. And like, I mean, I'm not a lawyer at all, but like I'm, very wary of people saying something's independent. I want to see like the legal framework that means, oh no, it's actually independent. And even if, you know, 
even if Zuckerberg went to court, he couldn't get it back. Because, you know, it's easy enough for people to say, oh, I'm going to delegate that, let someone else take care of it. But, you know, if it starts ruling in ways you dislike, if you can just, you know, pull the plug on it, then it's not really independent. Yeah, you know, if if, if such a Supreme Court, if you did take, if the legal steps were taken to make it truly independent and, you know, make it so that Facebook was required to continue working with and couldn't just either take it over or ignore it, then, yeah, I think that would be amazing. So do you think that, you know, with what Elizabeth Warren has been saying, that some of these tech companies are just too big, that things like Facebook need to be broken up? I certainly think they need to be regulated in some way. And I'm not like a, you know, an antitrust expert. There's a number of different regulations that can help in different ways. So one thing I'm a big fan of is the idea of requiring interoperability. So Facebook especially, um, to some extent Twitter, I think less so for Google because it's less of a social networking site, but you get these sort of network effects that can make it really hard to build up competitors. And there was actual, I have, again, I am not a lawyer, but I was reading about this um, Supreme, uh, not Supreme Court, just a court case called uh, Facebook versus Power Ventures, where they got a competitor shut down because they were interoperable with Facebook. And so potentially like stepping in and saying Facebook cannot sue competitors for, you know, making a system that interoperates with Facebook could potentially expose Facebook to a great deal of competition. And that wouldn't require, you know, breaking up Facebook. So I think there are a number of potential types of regulation and ways that the government can step in to improve competition, empower users that don't involve breaking up, you know, companies. And I think there are other ways for other companies as well. But I do think that also there are legitimate cases to be made for breaking apart certain elements. Um, there's also, you know, Facebook has gobbled up a number of its competitors like WhatsApp, Instagram. I certainly think that making it so when people join, like people join, I know people who join things like Instagram or WhatsApp in order to leave Facebook, not realizing that it's owned by Facebook. Um, so, like, at the very least, can we stop having competitors gobbled up by these companies? But whether it should go so far as to, you know, unwind previous mergers or break apart systems, like, I couldn't say what the best approach would be, but I'm certainly very open to it. What does interoperability mean? Yeah, so... Let's say that you don't want to use Facebook, but all of your friends are on Facebook. So you're on, I don't know, let's call it like Flipbook. It's like an alternative to Facebook, you're on Flipbook. And you want to post something to Flipbook and you want to share it with the people on Facebook. Well, you could individually go and open up an account, keep an account open on Facebook that you just use to copy and paste your stuff from Flipbook to Facebook. or you could join, if Flipbook was allowed, they could say, hey, we'll cross-post your stuff to Facebook for as long as you want. You can turn it on or turn it off. So then you could get, you know, you could slowly but surely get people to switch from Facebook to Flipbook or to, you know, five or six other platforms, whatever platform people wanted, but they could still stay connected to people on Facebook. And it would be easy for them to do. You wouldn't need to, like, manually handle things. You could just, it would be almost the same thing as using Facebook for you. You'd just be posted into one platform, but it would interoperate with Facebook. And then, you know, probably something as big as Facebook, you'd never actually lose all of your users, but you might get a lot less of them. 
end. So allowing interoperability would promote some competition by making it so you wouldn't have to. Like currently, if you want to join a new social media platform, a lot of times, like I tried to join alternatives to Facebook myself, and it's just really lonely because you can only convince like a couple of your friends to move, and then you're also juggling having to post to multiple, to both face the old one and the new one. And so a lot of platforms just sort of die out. But interoperability would solve some of those problems. It would introduce problems of its own. It's not like a perfect solution. But the, one of the reasons why competitors to Facebook haven't arisen, like the two main reasons are that they've legally prevented people from doing this interoperation, and also they've just been gobbling up their competitors. But like enough people are, you know, enough people dislike Facebook that otherwise you'd think that they would have competitors, but they really don't have major competitors because of these things. Thank you. This is a really difficult topic, so I really appreciate you discussing it with me. Oh, yeah, no problem. I'm glad, uh, glad to have a, a chance to chat with you about it. Thank you for listening to the Georgetown Public Policy Review podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the D.C. Tech Workers Coalition, you can go to techworkerscoalition.org slash D.C., and you can follow the Georgetown Technology Policy Initiative on Facebook and on Twitter at GU Tech Policy. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and check out more from the Georgetown Public Policy Review at gppreview.com.